Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Thanks for listening to the best Houston sports podcast. And in today's show, we'll discuss how the Astros decided to deal with having six quality starting pitchers in their rotation. And later in the show, we connect the latest NBA playoff news with its effect on the Rockets' future. As always, I'm joined by my co-host and regular sidekick, a fellow H-Town sports junkie and veteran journalist, Stephen Kerr. And Stephen, good week for the Astros, but it turns out Luis Garcia, he's human. He gave up three whole earned runs. What's going on? <laughs> I know. Go figure, right? Uh, yeah, the Astros, though, I, I tell you what, Robert, they're at least on a better track now than what they have been, you know, a couple weeks ago, a month ago. But, you know, when you when you score 14 runs of your own, yeah, you can make uh, almost anything look good. They keep winning two out of three, but the A's keep winning two, so they're still trying to get back uh, in first place in the division. Um, but here's the thing that I think everybody's going to be talking about this week. Lance McCullers comes off the injured list, and for his first start, we're supposed to see, this is tonight as you and I are speaking, Odorizzi piggybacking off McCullers. McCullers is going to get the start. Odorizzi is going to try to finish the game same way that we saw or have been seeing with, of course, uh, Christian Javier. And then it gets interesting because James Click said Sunday they're going with a six-man rotation during the portion of the schedule coming up here with 20 straight games. He won't say what happens after that. But I ask you, what do you think about this? Well, I think we discussed it last week. Robert and I even brought up the six-man rotation thing. I'm not a fan of it, but at the same time, you know, the more I got to thinking about it, what else can the Astros really do? I mean, you've got that stretch where you're not going to have an off day. You're, you're going to have that many games in a row. It, it may really just be the best thing that they can do. And, and look, and, and I'm not trying to pronounce any gloom and doom on anything, but we just never know from one day to the next who's going to go down you know, is something weird going to happen? Let, let's put it this way, Robert. It's a good problem to have. I'm sure that there are a lot of other major league teams that wish they had the problem of, huh, too many starting pitchers. What do you do with them all? And you've got Lance McCullers coming back. So, you know, we, we don't know what that's going to be. Jake Odorizzi, you know, he's still trying to round himself into shape because he didn't even come to spring training. So there, just, there are just so many variables to it. I really don't know what other decision the Astros could have made just because of the way things have played out at this point. Here's the thing that would concern me if there is something that would concern me about this. And you hear over and over again, starting pitchers, Stephen, you've heard this. They don't particularly like that extra day's rest. You know, going from four-man to five-man rotation, I don't hear guys griping about that or gripe or they didn't gripe about that back in the day I should say of course that doesn't happen much anymore but to six-man rotation it's a little trickier although you know if you've got a five-man rotation and there's a day off in the schedule that's a six-man rotation kind of so maybe that's not a big deal yeah I think that's another factor too is that you know when you have a five-man rotation you have a day off then uh, basically you get that extra day of rest so again I, I just think that this is the best decision that the Astros can make with what they have to work with. And, you know, the, the best case scenario in my mind, Robert, is that everybody can just stay healthy for a while. And we can maintain this. And, you know, if someone is deeming ineffective and they need to go to the bullpen for long relief, well, there's your problem solved. I mean, I'd, I'd rather have that certainly than have another injury where you're forced to make that kind of decision because somebody's gone down. So, yeah, if, if I have to wish for 
going back to a five-man rotation and, you know, something more normal, it's simply because somebody's just ineffective and they don't have any choice. They got to go to the bullpen. Like I said, Click was asked what was going to happen moving past the 20 straight games. And Click said, hey, let's get past these 20 games. And and I think things tend to work themselves out, meaning, you know, I think he's concerned and rightly so. The Astros have a bunch of starters that have been injured this year. You just want to get 20 games of the healthy Astros starting pitching staff that you would have hoped to start the year with. Although, you know, Odorizzi wouldn't have been there without Fromber, but you know, I, I I don't think we can worry about that because let, let's get to that problem. Let's get to the problem of, hey, what do we do once that's over with? And like you said, it could be somebody also just not pitching all that great. And you're like, well, maybe they're the, the one that gets the move to the bullpen. Well, first of all, what is uh, 20 games is what, three weeks almost? I, I mean, how can you look that far down the road, especially with the way things have evolved, you know, not just with the Astros, but really with Major League Baseball? It just a pitcher's going down, you know, dropping like flies. So, yeah, 20 games is a long time to be going, okay, what do we do after that? Well, <laughs> you know, it, it, there's really no way you can have a plan. I mean, this whole season, while it is a normal season under, you know, normal circumstances, you are coming off a, a very strange and weird 2020 season. You've still got a lot of injuries throughout baseball. You know, everybody's still trying to figure all this out. So, yeah, I, I just, I, I think James Click is right. I, I think you just have to Play with what you have right now, and things do really have a way of working themselves out. I mean, something will come where they probably will go back to a five-man rotation. But, yeah, 20 games is a long time to be worried about that at this point. Moving on to the next topic, you and I, well, not just you and I, a bunch of us uh, Astros fans have taken their share of shots at Miles Straw, but let's give the man his due. In his last 106 at-bat, Stephen, Straw's hitting 292 with a 347 on base percentage. And here's a stat that may shock you. Only seven major league hitters swing outside the strike zone at a lesser rate than Miles Straw. He knows the strike zone. He does indeed. And he's starting to draw more walks, which is a good thing. And uh, I, I think, you know, the, the speed factor, we've talked a lot about that. But again, you know, he's, he's not stealing a lot of bases. I, I think his 60 stolen bases is probably not going to come to pass. But as far as his hitting... Yeah, I, I think he's been smarter at the plate. I think he's finally starting to figure things out. As I said before, he's never going to be confused with George Springer, replacing him in center field. But, you know, even his defense, I think, has gotten somewhat better. He made a great catch recently. And so I, I think, you know, you just, you've got to give, and I, Dusty Baker did make a good point. You know, you've got to give these young players some credit. I admit I get impatient. How, how many years did we say, when is Kyle Tucker going to figure it out? And you know, when is this player going to figure it out? When is Framber Valdez going to figure it out? Sometimes, Robert, you know, patience is the hardest virtue, but it's the best virtue. And at least at, at this moment, Miles Straw is playing much better. Chaz McCormick is playing pretty well. So the Astros outfield is at least looking somewhat better than it did when the season started. And you can't stress about the offense with this team, Stephen. I mean, what? why? 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 What are you going to do? How, how are you going to be mad at them? Yeah, remember, what was it, two weeks ago that we were stressing out because Jordan Alvarez wasn't hitting? <laughs> that seems like ages ago. You know, Jordan's back to being Jordan, and Carlos Correa's hitting, and, you know, the, the big guys are hitting. I don't think the Astros' offense was really a long-term problem. But let's face it, in 162 games, you're going to go through spurts where they're not going to show up. But consistently throughout the season, if they can just continue to be at a good pace, they can— at least to some extent, 
hide the weaknesses that they do have in the pitching. So, yeah, the Astros offense, I, I'm really not too worried about it at this point. Houston weather, it's right in the middle of the summer. You, We've got that, you know, 95 degree, 100 degree temperatures. And when it's this hot, you might want something by the poolside that's in a pineapple or you might need a La Pina. And that leads me right into my next topic is Yuli Gurriel because he's sixth now in all of baseball and batting average. He's having the offensive season of his career, OPS 929, continues to hit in the clutch like he always does with men on base this season. His OPS 1001 for his career, his OPS with runners in scoring position 896. But I dug into the numbers a little bit, Stephen. This is interesting. If you're curious how this fits with other Astros greats, Lance Berkman, 985 OPS with runners in scoring position. That just blew me away when I looked that up. Jeff Bagwell, for all the crap he gets for not being clutch in the playoffs, had a career 998 OPS in those situations. So even better than Lance Berkman, believe it or not. Bregman, quietly 959 in the clutch for his career. Any of that surprise you at all? Well, yes and no. I mean, I, I guess Gurriel's resurgence does surprise me, and, and I'm just so glad, Robert, because it just felt so bad for him after last season. You know, I, I did not believe, regardless of how poor his struggles were, you know, how poor he played, I just didn't believe that this was the Yuli Gurriel we were used to seeing any more than I was hoping that, you know, the Jose Altuve we saw last year would not was not the Jose Altuve we were used to seeing. So I'm very glad that Yuli has those numbers. Yeah, the, the Jeff Bagwell and Lance Berkman numbers, I mean, it's not too surprising, but at the same time, yeah, when it came to the postseason, the Astros couldn't get it done, and, and they were a couple of the reasons why they couldn't. But, man, Yuli Gurriel going on this pace, uh, I just if he can keep it up through the rest of the season, then certainly the Astros' offense is going to be, be in the best shape it could possibly be. Quick Yuli question for you, Stephen. Jeff Bagwell was an exceptional defensive first baseman. He won a gold glove. I mean, I, we talk about it all the time about what he was able to do, not just at the plate, but running the bases, unlike uh, one Jose Altuve, which is a whole other story. <laughs> but we also always talk about his defense. But I'm, am I crazy to think that Yuli is the best defensive first baseman in Astros history? I just don't recall Bagwell having to short hop as many throws to first base. Bregman, Altuve, and Correa are habitual short hoppers. They make it hard on that guy, and he comes up with everything. Well, you know, that's an intriguing question. I must I must admit I hadn't thought about that. Uh, I'd say there could be some argument to that. Uh, you know, Jeff Badwell has some pretty good fielders to, to help him out, Craig Biggio, of course, be, being one of them. And, yeah, you know, say what you will about how great uh, Altuve and, and Correa and even Bregman are. But there are they, they do seem to have those lapses in the field, and, and Yuli has made some stretches that kind of make you look like he's maybe 10 feet tall, <laughs> the way he's having to reach and, you know, keep your foot on the bag. I mean, first base is a very difficult position compared to some of the other fielding positions. So, yeah, you know, that, that would be a good uh, Twitter question, Robert. I just feel like the fact that Yuli is so good with short hops, you know, he played third base and short. He could play any one of the infield positions – He's so good at it that they just go, well, I'm not going to take the chance that I might overthrow him. So a lot of times they'll throw these two hopper and three hoppers and definitely one hoppers over to him. And Altuve, you know, he's been fantastic recently defensively, but Altuve 
he, he kind of make, can make an adventure occasionally with his throws to first base and, and Bregman too. Correa, not so much, but the other two guys definitely do. Yeah. And it's interesting how, you know, sometimes uh, one corner infield spot, you can move them over into the other corner. And that is the case, of course, you know, with Jeff Bagwell and, and various others. So, yeah, I, I think some of those characteristics can translate into playing first base. And Yuli Gurriel is certainly doing that. I want to run something by you, Stephen, and see what you think. And, uh, you know, listeners out there, I want to get some feedback from you guys. I've grown a little tired of the Uncle Mike nickname for Brantley. Number one, the Uncle nickname, it's been done before. It'll never be as cool as Uncle Cliffy from the NBA's uh, Cliff Robinson. I mean, that was so ubiquitous. Everybody in NBA lore knew about Uncle Cliffy. And in my mind, he retired that nickname. Number two... Wasn't the Uncle Mike nickname, correct me if I'm wrong, wasn't it about his relationship with George Springer, who's now gone? Brantley was like a uncle figure for Springer, right? It was. Yeah, that, that's really where it got started. And I don't know. You know, when I think of uncle in, in that sense, this weird. I, I think of this, you know, older, you know, grandfatherly type gentleman who just happens to be your uncle. You know, I, I mean, I get it. Yeah, we need to come up with a better nickname for Michael Brantley. I, it's something more to do, I think, with his hitting ability than the fact that he was a quote-unquote uncle to George Springer because that's no longer that's no longer in vogue. Springer's no longer there. Here's what I got for you, and I don't know how I can get any of this stuff to catch on, but how about just calling Brantley the metronome? Like a metronome consistent, that swing is just like short, simple, basically a reliable metronome. His swing is just that. I mean, that's what it is, a metronome. Well, it's different. Um, some people may have to look up the word metronome in the dictionary. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's a good start. We, we can come up with something like that. I mean, I always like to call him Mr. Consistency, but there's, there's nothing really original about that. So yeah, a metronome is original. I'll, I'll give you that. Anyway, if you come up with something else, let me know. It's just something I wanted to run by everybody because Brantley deserves it. I mean, he's batting... 337. He is fourth in baseball. He's closing out on his mid 30s. We almost didn't have him back this year. It's a great story, but you forget about it because it's just uh, that's Michael Brantley just doing what Michael Brantley does just simple, short swing, consistent, everyday, basic metronome. Well, and, and something else, too. It doesn't seem to matter how many days off the guy gets. You know, he comes back from an injury, and it just seems that more often than not, he just comes back in, picks up where he left off. I mean, there's, there just seems to be no rust on the guy. That, that's what's incredible to me about it. All right, I'm going to dump our regular segment where we chop up Dusty Baker decisions because, Stephen, I can't do it this week. Today's Dusty's birthday. Uh-oh, and that makes two weeks in a row, Robert, that you have not been, in, and neither have I, have been able to come up with a dusty, dumbfounding decision. I mean, if he keeps this up, uh, we're going to have to scrap it and come up with something else. But uh, happy birthday, Dusty. All right. Without looking or doing any research, I'm going to ask you a tough question. Is Dusty Baker younger or older than 93 years old, Stephen? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'd say he's a spring chicken compared to 93. Yeah, Dusty is... Is he 71, 72? Uh, he's getting up there a little bit. And, you know, we call him Gramps a little bit. Well, some people call him Gramps. I don't know. But, yeah, he turned uh, 72 as of 
this morning. So happy birthday, Dusty Baker. Wow. And he's about he's about the same age as Brent Strom, right? Yeah, something like that. I, I think Brent's 71 or 72. So they're they're about equal with each other there. Yeah, and and I'm going to give you another question. Uh got I got some trivia for you today. The new head coach of the TCU baseball team is Kirk Sarlos. Stephen, uh, why uh, should Astros fans remember that name? Kirk Sarlos. Yep, the former pitcher, played with the Astros for a brief period. So, uh, yep, good to, he's, he's got some big shoes to fill with uh, Jim Schlossnagel going to A&M. Uh, because Jim Schlossnagel did such a good job with that TCU program, pretty much brought them out of obscurity. You know, they've been around forever, but didn't have a lot of postseason success. But Kurt Sarlus, you know, he, he, of course, he does have coaching experience. But, yep, good to see him get that. So another former Astro getting into the college baseball coaching realm. The best Kurt Sarlos memory. Everybody should remember this. In 2003, he was one-sixth of an Astros no-hitter at Yankee Stadium. Yeah, what that that 8 to nothing uh six-pitcher no-hitter. That's right. He was one of them. Was he the somebody the second or third pitcher that came in? I can't remember which. He, he was one order. of the earlier ones, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, he was uh not super memorable besides that with the Astros, but obviously everybody remembers that. And and I got a couple of quick notes before we move to the Rockets. If you missed it last week, Ex-Astro Jose Cruz Jr., whose dad was kind of a big deal in Astros history, too. So Cruz Jr. is the new Rice Owls baseball coach. And yesterday, I had Rice Owls insider Matthew Bartlett on the pod, Stephen. Yeah, that's great to see. I, I'm happy. I mean, I was kind of rooting for Lance Berkman to get that job, uh, you know, when it initially came open. But, hey, Lance is doing well for himself, too, because he's now with the Houston Baptist. That's why I'm saying a lot of former Astros are, are getting into the uh, college baseball coaching realm. But, uh, yeah, I, I uh, have not had a chance to catch that podcast. I'll definitely make sure to listen to it. But I'm real happy for Jose Cruz Jr. and the whole Cruz family. What a, what a great bunch of people. Also, last week we had a, get a little bit of a bonus pod for you guys because I threw up a special preview of the Neighbors Don't Knock podcast hosted by my close friend Brian Chambers. If you missed it, go listen to the interview with actor Kevin Cooney, who tells stories about working with Tom Hanks. And Warren Beatty, he's the guy. Oh, I, I know that guy. He's he's from that. Uh, I can't, what's he from? I can't remember. He's been in everything. He actually grew up in Houston. It makes Houston his home right now. Yeah, tell you about it. There are just some of these guys that it's like a who's who of who you know. And he's certainly one of those guys. Uh, let's go to the Rockets. And oh, this is a good one. Do you have any idea, Stephen, what happened 26 years ago? Yesterday, that's Monday, if you're listening later in the week, since you're not a fan of trivia questions, i tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you an audio hint. Elijah Watt for three. Yes! What it's only to, fitting. What a way to end it. Here's Anderson for three. No good. The ball game is over. the glide. Finally gets the ring. He's got it. He's got his ring. This team's done. Come from the sixth seed, a down in series, and we had non-believers all along the way. I have one thing to say to those non-believers. Don't ever underestimate the heart of a champion. How sweet it is, Stephen. Oh, how could we forget that Rockets championship? I mean, I'll never forget that evening. I had just come home from church. My, my kids were real little. 
and I put them to bed, I think in record time, <laughs> they actually cooperated. So I could go watch that Rockets win. And I, I had lived in Houston, you know, up until the early 80s. And I always dreamed that somebody, I didn't care if it was the Astros, the Oilers, you know, the, the Rockets, whomever, please win a championship. Well, it didn't happen while I lived in Houston, but it happened after I moved to Austin. And I still, of course, am a Houston fan. So yeah, how could we forget that championship? How was that different, do you think, in, in your head than the first championship? How did you feel after that one? Because, you know, after the first one, it's you, you got the monkey off your back. You know, it was such a, a struggle to win the championship, seven games. You, you sweep Orlando in four, but getting there was way harder than it was the year before. <laughs> yeah, it certainly was. As, as Rudy mentioned in that speech, he was the sixth seed and I, you know, I, I think what it did for me, Robert, is it validated the first one. It's like, you know, the first one, it was no fluke. And I know people still to this day keep harping on the fact that if Michael Jordan had been there, the Rockets wouldn't have won either championship. Well, yeah, first of all, you don't know that. The Rockets actually matched up pretty well against the Bulls. Thank you very much. So I think that second championship in 95, that it just it validated everything that made the first one feel as sweet as it did. I think also people have to think in terms of this. You go, oh, Michael Jordan just wins eight in a row. And you hear that a lot. But I mean, how many NBA teams have ever won four in a row? Even as good as Golden State was the last few years, they couldn't get four in a row. You just don't see that. You have to go back to the Celtics in the Bill Russell era. But what was there at that time, Stephen, about 16 teams in the NBA, something like that? It wasn't wasn't as hard. Well, no, it wasn't as hard. It, it, there was no parity at that point. And so the fact that the Rockets could win two in a row, you know, that that's really something that uh, even lately do, doing two in a row, unless you have, you know, a team like Golden State, it's, it's just difficult to do. There are way more teams and, you know, they're just more uh, obviously more teams means more better players. So. And don't forget, Michael Jordan didn't start winning championships when he first got there. So, you know, he went through some years where he had to get enough people around him to do it. So sports is one of those things where I think you just you have to go out there on the field or on the court and prove it. You can't just sit there and look at it on paper and say, well, this would have happened if this thing had happened. It, it just it it doesn't work that way. The third best player on those first three championship teams was Horace Grant. Horace Grant left in free agency to Orlando. I don't think Horace stays because I don't know if Chicago could have paid him the money. Remember that Orlando team was really young with Shaq and Penny. So they had the money to give to him. And don't forget also that Dennis Rodman didn't show up for a couple of years later. So who is your third best player? You can go, well, Jordan just can win with whoever. But you just said it, Stephen. He didn't win with whoever until Scottie Pippen and Horace Grant showed up. Yeah, those were the two keys. Those for, and for sure. And you know, in in that Rockets Orlando series, remember how crazy Game One was? Well, we thought the Rockets had it wrapped up at least two or three times, and you know they end up winning it because Nick Anderson misses those free throws and some other really weird stuff happened. You you almost thought, man, this could actually be a series, but the Rockets did end up sweeping them. So you know, I just I, I again I, I felt. Really good. You know, obviously there was nothing that compared to the first championship, but the second one, it just, it validated everything. Man, this is, this is what I've been dreaming of. You know, I don't know if we're going to be a dynasty, but two in a row is two in a row and I'll take it. The other big thing, and you heard it in the audio, Clyde Drexler, 
Houston guy, Fi Slamma Jamma reunites with Akeem. That part was so special just to see the two guys celebrating with each other after everything that had happened at the NC State game years ago. And it's just that was just it was like the cherry on top. You couldn't get better than that. No, you certainly couldn't. I mean, you have guys like you talk about Clyde Drexler and Hakeem Olajuwon, college teammates who went through all those disappointments. And then you have Rudy T coaching the team. Rudy T, a, a rocket through and through as a player coaching the team to those two championships. I just, man, you can't get any more local than that. Speaking of Akeem Olajuwon, a week from today, the NBA draft lottery. Dream's going to be repping the Rockets. You getting nervous? You got any superstitions, Steven? You got a horseshoe yeah. or l- lucky socks or anything? Man, I don't know because I don't know what I had the, the day that you know they drafted both uh, Hakeem and, and Ralph Sampson <laughs> winning those coin flips. I, I wish I could pull it out and uh, maybe try it again. But like I said on the last podcast, Robert, I, I think a lot of people would have liked you know Robert Ory to be there. But hey, Hakeem Olajuwon, you know, he, he brought us luck before. Maybe he can do it one, just one more time, Hakeem. Come out of retirement. And and uh, rub that bottle and bring us something here. Have you ever had lucky habits or, I guess, superstition? Whatever. Have you ever had any of that with any of the Houston teams? Anything that you can remember that sticks out over the years? You know, nothing. Re- I mean, there are times that I might, if uh, I was wearing something the day that, let's say, the Astros won a playoff game or the Oilers won a playoff game or something or the Rockets. Uh, but no, I've just never been really that big on superstitions. I think about it. But I can't really point to one instance where I'm like, man, I'm, I, I am sleeping with this autographed football because, you know, the Oilers won the first round of the playoff game. I got it, or you know, the Texans or whomever. Not really. I've, I've just never been overly superstitious. I remember this back. I I want to say this was the Love You Blue era. I'm almost positive it was around when I was nine or ten. I guess I would have. I got somewhere. I got a Houston Oilers ring like a ring that you put on your finger and I had a rabbit's foot. I can't even remember where the rabbit's foot came from, but <laughs> I would, uh, I would, I guess link the rabbit's foot with the ring when the Oilers would play on Sunday. And, you know, I think that was my good luck charm. And, you know, back in the love you blue era, it, it worked most of the time. <laughs> Boy, it sure did. Uh, you know, I've never actually ever owned a rabbit's foot. So I always wondered what that was like. <laughs> so, good for you. <laughs> All right. Well, the Rockets, uh, for them to get some luck over the next few years, uh, some stuff is going to have to happen. And this week is the NBA playoffs and the Nets all of a sudden looking like they're in trouble. So why do we care? Well, we care, of course, because they hold the future of the Rockets in their hands and their stars are falling apart in year one of this experiment. Harden's hamstring still has him sidelined, as I'm sure everybody out there has noticed. Maybe he's back for tonight's game. We'll see. And now Kyrie's got a turned ankle. Maybe they won't be long-term issues, but Stephen, if they lose this series, it puts a little more pressure on them to get this done next year. And then the blame game starts. Finger pointing, maybe. Oh, yeah. You know, the blame game, sports, that never happens, right? (laughs) Yeah. You know, I, I never wish for people to get injured, Robert, over the course of a season or what have you. I, I just wish they would just lose for whatever reason. So, but but you're right. I, I mean, things are going to have to, the, the Nets, for the Rockets to get a better draft pick, the Nets pretty much have to fall apart. 
And it's not inconceivable that they could do that. You know, next year would be a big year for them. And they are the Nets. You know, they're not exactly a dynasty type of team. So it could happen. So, yeah, if you're the Rockets, you you, you got to hope that maybe some of these things come into play. Speaking of this Bucks nets series, I noticed P.J. Tucker had his best game of the playoffs in Game 4 and maybe looked as good as I've seen him look since last year. He was averaging three points per game in the playoffs but had 13 points in Game 4 and gave KD some issues with his defense. And, Stephen, that's something that I didn't think he had in him. You know, because here's the thing with Kevin Durant. You, you, you're you not going to block his shots because he's seven feet tall and he's got this shot that's almost unblockable unless you're much more athletic and taller than, than a P.J. Tucker would be. And also, P.J.'s lateral movement has not looked good in a long time. And so, you know, that gives the Nets some hope, especially if Harden and Kyrie are going to be banged up. Even if they come back, I mean, we're talking about a turned ankle and a hamstring. That stuff just isn't all of a sudden healed. No, it certainly isn't. And I guess, you know, for Rockets fans, I mean, why is it that they always have to leave the Rockets to start doing some great things? I guess that's the, probably the burning question in every fan's mind. Well, I'm, you know, I'm happy for you, PJ. Happy for, happy for you, whomever, uh, you know, Chris Paul. You got to you know, certainly talk about that. But they're no longer with the Rockets, but they're doing well somewhere else. And PJ Tucker is certainly one of those. Well, you just underscored my next topic because our old pal CP3 this is a legit chance now that he's got to make his first NBA finals. They're going to get some games off. Remember, he had that shoulder banged up a couple of series ago. He looked incredible in the Nuggets series. But the Nuggets, I just feel sorry for them because that's a team that just was devastated by injuries. And, you know, who knows what's going to happen with Jamal Murray's future. And they look like they could win a championship if they were healthy. But in the meantime, if Chris Paul can beat either the Jazz or Clippers, and that looks like a total toss-up. I don't know what's going on with that. It's whoever, who's ever home is crushing people. Mm-hmm. We'll see if that continues, but that's going to be the matchup. And Phoenix has the advantage of at least having some time off and getting a little bit refreshed there. You know, say what you will about Chris Paul, Robert. Yeah, he may be 36, and, and he always seems to get one injury or another, but the, the guy just keeps coming back. You just you can't count him out. And, and this whole Phoenix team, is he's kind of – I guess, drilled that mentality into them. I mean, here's a team that hadn't made the postseason in 11 years. And now they're on the cusp of, uh, you know, they could. What are they, eight games away from winning an NBA championship? Who would have thought? You know, talk about somebody, every time you think Chris Paul is done, that the injuries are just going to overtake him. He just keeps coming back for more. And and as as much as I hate the fact that he's no longer with the Rockets, I, I can't help but cheer for the guy. I, I just can't, at least at this point, I, I don't, you know, I'm just not that excited about the NBA playoffs, but I got to tell you what, what Chris Paul and the Phoenix Suns are doing. I've kind of adopted them at this point, at, at least for this postseason only. All right. The team that I've adopted is the Atlanta Hawks. Cause I just love the way they play. I mean, I, I like Phoenix and how they play as a team as well, but Clint Capella, our old friend, another yep. ex rocket, uh, <laughs> just shuts down Joel Embiid in the second half of game four of that series against the Sixers. The series is tied. You might remember last week I picked the Hawks. As crazy as this sounds, even though they've tied the series and they've looked good so far, 
I don't feel quite as good about it. I wasn't expecting to hear right after you and I spoke last week that DeAndre Hunter was out for that series. And he's somebody that I thought was just very valuable for them. Looked great in the first series of the postseason for the Hawks. Their lack of size also just makes it an uphill battle. And it's just something to think about, Stephen, as we construct a new Rockets team. You know, there's this idea that everybody loves Jalen Suggs after what they saw from him in the uh, NCAA tournament. But Jalen Suggs looks bigger probably as a college guy and more impressive. But he's 6'3". He's not super long-armed. He's not really a freak in length at all. So I I, I got to think if the Rockets get in the top four, Suggs might be the guy that you would want the least if you're Rockets fans because size matters. And Kate Cunningham is tall and lanky. And Evan Mobley, of course, is, I mean, you know, that's a guy that's the, the quintessential seven footer with arms everywhere. And then, you know, even somebody like Jalen Green is 6'6". And, you know, he's got some good length as far as his wingspan. So just something to think about if they if they do get that top four pick and, and who they pick in that slot is going to be really interesting going forward. Yeah, that's certainly right. And, you know, just ask the Rockets how much size matters the deeper you go into the playoffs. And I can't blame you for the Hawks. I mean, I, I like the looks of them, too. But I, I don't know if they can pull it off just judging on the things you just said. You know, the injuries are always the things that bite you in the postseason that make such a difference. But can't blame you for adopting them. But, yeah, the Rockets, if, if there's anything, they've just got to get some bigger size uh, going, as, especially inside. And we just have to hope that the chips fall in the right place and at least get the top four. And, man, it's it's going to be awfully hard to get that number one. But you got to hope until it happens. Any last words before we take off? Any thoughts on the Astros as we move ahead? I mean, this was a tough stretch that they just went through, and they did an incredible job, two out of three, two out of three, two out of three against most of these teams. What are you thinking now as we move forward? we got the Rangers coming up, the White Sox. Man, that, another great team. Well, I was going to say, the, the White Sox, are, I, I know according to some power rankings I've seen, they've moved up to number one while the Padres have dropped. Uh, you know, at, at this point, I think the Astros just – you don't want them to stub their toe. They've got some momentum. You know, they they need to beat teams like the Rangers and at least hold their own against teams like the White Sox. But, yeah, this 20-game stretch is, is also going to be big, Robert. And, you know, we keep saying, oh, this is a big stretch. This is a big stretch. Well, of course, it's a long season, but every stretch is important in its own way. And I'm, I'm just hoping that the Astros can maintain the health of the pitching staff and everywhere else, of course. But just no more unexpected things happening for a while. That that would make, that would make me feel good. That bullpen's got to show up sometime, right? Right? It it does. It just has to at some point, right? And you know, with one of these starters going into the bullpen, if that's what it takes to bolster, I mean, Christian Javier has done that. And uh, yeah, the the piggyback thing you you mentioned it earlier with Lance McCullers, Jake Odorizzi. You know, it, it's it's an intriguing thing, but I I think as I said, I think this is really the the best that the Astros can do with having so many pitchers is a good problem to have. And we just hope that it, it doesn't affect the rhythm and the momentum that they have right now. Last thing uh, I'll remind you guys again, all you listeners out there, if you haven't go check out rice Al's insider, Matthew Bartlett on yesterday's podcast, talking about Jose Cruz jr. Taking over the Al's baseball program last week. If you missed it, it's just a fun show. I mean, just those guys are really positive over there on neighbors. Don't knock the podcast and, 
the interview with actor Kevin Cooney was fun and real interesting if you don't know much about Kevin Cooney. But uh, that's all we got for this one. You can always reach us on Twitter, Facebook, or email info at HoustonSportsTalk.net. It's always in the show description in case you forget. You know, Twitter and Facebook, easy way to get a hold of me if you need anything. Uh, you can DM me. I'm, I'm open on Twitter, so it's real easy. But until next week, and in the meantime, stay healthy and safe, everybody. You're listening to Houston Sports Talk. Don't forget to follow Houston Sports Talk on Facebook and Twitter. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, the Google Podcast app, or the Stitcher app. You can support us by giving us a five-star review on iTunes or by telling your friends about us. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening.